Hi, I'm Tom Woods, and you're listening to the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to the show that gets Christians thinking about faith and politics. Get ready to challenge the statist quo, expand your imagination, and tackle controversy head on. Let's stand together at the intersection of faith and freedom. It's time for the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. I am your host, Doug Stewart, and I have an exciting book that I want to discuss with you. And no, it's not Faith Seeking Freedom, LCI's new book. It is a book that I have had on my coffee table since it arrived because it's just so beautiful. And I have one of the authors on to talk about it. Now, the book is called 10 Global Trends Every Smart Person Should Know. And Ronald Bailey is one of the co-authors with Marion Tupi. Ron is on with us to talk about the book. Now, Ron is an award-winning science correspondent for Reason Magazine and Reason.com. He's also the author of The End of Doom, Environmental Renewal in the 21st Century. Ron, thanks for coming on. I'm delighted to be with you. Thank you for having me. So I have to confess, and every book that I get that I have uh, the author on, I read every word because I don't want to miss something. Your book is I think the first one that I didn't read every word. Now, I kind of have an excuse for that. It's this beautiful book that sits on my coffee table and I don't want to read it all in one sitting. (laughs) (laughs) I want to just keep like nibbling away at it because it is like this full color with graphs and like very digestible bite-sized things. I feel like I want to save the secrets of like the middle of the book or like near the end of the book and like read it later because it's just so beautiful. And I I want people to know that. But at the same time, I like devour all the things that I, that I read. I'm just like, oh, this is so good. This is so good. There's more of this. And I'm going to, I'm going to say this for later. Your book is, this is like interesting timing in 2020. This book is about Global trends, everybody should know. And as a libertarian, you and I both know that the world's getting better. That's not the norm. And so I think no, this is no, the perfect No, that is year. the norm. No, I, I don't <laughs> think people think, well, it is the norm. Sorry. I don't think that people think that that's the norm. That's correct. Unfortunately, they are wrong. And so this is like the perfect year for your book to come out. I wish it had been a better year than and instead, but yes, it, it, I hope it might cheer up some folks as the- well, Yeah, that's what I mean. As the end of the pandemic is coming into sight, but yes- yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I kind of mean. It's like we all need a glimmer of hope. And, and uh, as it was published in the last month or so, this is, this is a great time is to like <laughs> have a hopeful attitude toward the future here. So tell us about the book's features. It's not just a book that you pick up. I've kind of already mentioned that it's a kind of a beautiful coffee table book. Give us a little bit more. Well, it's an idea that I've had for quite some time. You know, I've written several books over the course of my life where I've looked at all kinds of global trends. You mentioned an earlier book, The The End of Doom, for example. You know, it was a three or four hundred page book and it sold fairly well. But it's really hard to get people to spend that much time with the book anymore. So for a while I thought, well, all right, I have all this data in my head. Mm. Is there a way for me to do this and uh, so that people can quickly get the information? They don't have to sit down and read through all of my chapters and so forth. And I thought, well, you know, why not a picture book? Mm. And so this was conceived literally as a picture book where I would do charts and graphs and then have 250 words to 300 words explaining what the chart or the graph means people. They could just pick it up. They don't have to read it from cover to cover. They can do as you're planning to do, just, you know, bite-sized bits of things that interest them as they flip through the book. 
And so I had this idea, but I didn't have a particular way that I could figure out how to do it. So I approached Marion Tupi, who, as my co-author, he's the head of a fabulous website over at the Cato Institute called Human Progress. I took him out to lunch and I said, all right, I have this idea for a book. Will you help me? And he immediately said, yes. (laughs) And so two years later, this is what we have. Yeah, great. Well, his enthusiastic yes, I'm very happy with that you found a partner to to accomplish this. Because when I when this came in the mail and I opened this up and I started reading, I'm like, yes, this is what we need. This is this is exactly it. One of my favorite things is that I actually, you know, my wife, I will tell her these like global trends or or like things that I see that are positive, and she'll be like, What? Really? But what about this or what about that? So like I'm reading through, you know, your book and I'm like, ooh my wife needs to see this. So I snap a picture of it and I text it to her, right? (laughs) It's like all the words are right there. And there's the chart. Like this is how, you know, this is how we're progressing here. So I could keep raving about that, but I think people want to hear more about the topics in the book. I mentioned that it's not the norm that people believe that the world is getting better. And you kind of address this in the introductory chapters of the book. Why are people not aware of this? Well, there are a lot of different problems we discuss in that chapter, but the main thing I wanted to get across is is that very smart people, and that's why we have that in the title of the book, 10 Global Trends Every Smart Person Should Know, is because smart people are out there consuming media, paying attention to studies, reading books, and so forth about the problems of the world. And we're not saying there are no problems in the world. So they're very aware of what the problems are. What they're not aware of, we found, is they're not aware of how much progress has been made over time. Uh And so what we wanted to do was to to provide long-term trends so that smart people can understand exactly where we are in the world with regard to how we solve things and what remains to be solved. And so I guess the catchphrase I would use is, is you can't fix the world if you don't know uh, where you are in it. You don't know how much progress has been made. And so one of the things that happens is that there's a negativity bias. I mean, this is something that's probably derived from our evolutionary history. One way that a zoologist explained it to me once is that when our ancestors were uh, evolving on the plains of Africa, if a guy heard a rustle in a bush and he said, oh, it's just the wind, and it turned out to be a lion, he was selected out. He wasn't our ancestor. The guy who was got scared and ran away, he's our ancestor. So we tend to th- think about things, uh, worry about things as problems and discount things that have been already solved or or are benefits to us. The other thing, of course, is, is that there's a negativity bias in the news. If it bleeds, it leads. And so everything we see in the news is typically bad news. And that is always in the forefront of our minds. And therefore, we it obscures what's going on. And the final thing is, is that progress hides itself. Once the problem is solved, we just stop thinking about it. We move on to the next problem. So all the things that have been solved in the past are just, you know, they're just in the background Mm -hmm. and we're only looking to what remains to be solved. And therefore, again, we have a more negative bias. Yeah. And and you have this phrase in there that I actually highlighted, not physically, because I didn't want to you know, highlight your book. I usually highlight all my books, but your book, I'm like, I can't highlight. I got to take notes elsewhere here. (laughs) Steady progress is not news. Correct. Yeah. Burning down a house is news. Building a house is not news. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. You know, it's one of those, a couple of years ago, I'll just share a quick story. We were asked in a small group with family, like if you were to share information to other people that you were really genuinely excited about, what would it be? And I wrote down instinctively, the world is getting better, not worse. And I now have like a gift. 
I can give people and a tool in which I can show them and demonstrate to them without sending them, you know, these thick books of, you know, explaining, you know, in 400 pages, one trend, right? So this this is really great. Uh, may I take a promotional moment that you can't Oh, have, yeah, yeah. You can't have too many copies of 10 Global Trends. It makes a wonderful <laughs> bar mitzvah gift, Christmas gift, birthday, anniversary, wedding, yeah, whatever. Yeah. You can't have too many copies. Yeah, and it's also very affordable. I think coffee table books are usually kind of overpriced. This was, I think, within the $20 range here. At least on Amazon, it was. Right. So it's very affordable. So you can afford to get one for you and for that person who just is a curmudgeon and thinks that the world is getting worse or just focuses on the negative. <laughs> Ron, I'll help you promote your book any way I can. This is, I, I thank, you can thank you. clearly tell my excitement here. For those who might be a little bit concerned that I'm too excited about this book, I do have a few either critiques or questions about critics, which we'll get to. But as you were collaborating with this with Marion, did you already have the the data sort of collected or did you sort of collaborate on the concept after, you know, that lunch meeting? No, we, we did sit down and try to figure out what the, the longest term trends were that we could do globally. We wanted to find the data that would be totally uncontroversial. If there's any controversial data, we decided we wouldn't cover that trend. This, this data is based on, you know, scientific reports, government reports, think tank reports. I mean, People call this optimism. It isn't. What we think of the book is is realistic. All we're doing is mm-hmm. just the facts, ma'am, kind of data. And we list everything in there. Any, you can go look it up. We give you all the ways you can find out whether we're telling you the truth or not, or at least where the data is that we're basing the conclusions on. Mm-hmm. And so, again, I don't think of it as optimism. I think of it as, as a realistic, uh, hard-edged view of the way the world actually is. So yes, we did. We didn't know for sure. We did the research, trying to figure out what the right trends would be to cover. Yeah, was there anything that surprised you as you were going through the research? Well, a couple of things, probably one of which was I was kind of surprised to discover that act, when you look at homicide rates around the world, not just war, deaths in war. By the way, we cover that. There are vastly fewer people dying in wars and so forth, but the actual murder rates. Uh, around the world have been falling for most of the countries of the world for the last five decades or so. And it was it was a bit of a surprise for me on that one. Yeah. In each of your chapters, sometimes it seems that you attribute the reason for the trend. Is that kind of consistent throughout? Or do you try to leave it as sort of neutral and, you know, just sort of presenting the trend rather than explaining it with a certain bias? Well, let's put our priors up there, both uh, Marion and I are libertarian. So obviously, we have a particular view about how free markets and, and the freedom of speech and democracy operate in order to, to create the trends. I mean, one of the things I want to go back to and remind everybody, and one of the things that we can be talking about one of these trends is the great enrichment, is prior to two centuries ago, the natural state of humanity was violent, ignorant poverty. Most people lived on less than $2 a day, considerably less than $2 a day, in real dollars, and we document that. And uh, something changed two centuries ago that allowed for increasing proportions of humanity to enjoy prosperity and greater peace and greater human flourishing over time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And those things we had, I would identify is the creation, if you will, of, of essentially democratic liberal capitalism. Were there any trends that you found that gave you a deep emotional response that sort of hit you personally? Uh, that's, a, that's a good question. 
the one I always highlight, and 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 it, it makes me happy to think about it, is you know we talk about the great enrichment. One of the things that we point out is that uh, the world economy grew a hundredfold over the last two centuries, while world population grew eightfold. Essentially, people have gotten vastly richer. Not everybody, obviously, and we're still hoping that more and more people will will get to that stage. Which brings me to my favorite trend, which is the end of poverty. And that's the second trend, because, you know, you could imagine a world where a, a, a very few people get very rich indeed. The end of poverty basically shows that this process of enrichment also went to more and more people over time. Again, the, the data we show is that somewhere between 90, 95 percent of everybody in 1820 on planet Earth lived on less than $2 a day in real dollars. And we can, you can look at the data and figure out what, how that got calculated. And it took basically until 1980 or thereabouts for that to fall by half. That is, wow. that 45% of the people in the world were living on $2 a day. And that, and that was a huge accomplishment. But since then, it's now below 10% people are living on $2 a day. It's been a vast acceleration in the creation of wealth mm-hmm. and spreading to more and more people. The other side, flip side of it is, on planet Earth in 1900, just 120 years ago, average life expectancy on the planet was somewhere around 35 years. And it's more than doubled over 72 years now. And that's for everybody. And again, that's the result of the end of poverty and the, and the great enrichment. So all these trends interact together to, for basically creating a world in where more and more of our fellow human beings get to enjoy better and better lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, this idea that being informed about the trends, and it's interesting, like some people will talk about, you know, the world is getting better and that is a trend, but that word trend just has really stuck as I've been reading your book over the last week. I'm like, the word trend is really good because it doesn't say that we've arrived. It doesn't say that everything that could be calculated that sort of represents the trend is getting better. Like things aren't getting better in all places at all times. No, <laughs> sadly. Right, <laughs> right. I mean, eventually maybe that's where it'll be, but like that's not what the word trend communicates. So it's communicating something very accurate about the state of the world. It also means that you can't just look at today and say, hey, look at this problem today. There is, you know, sexual exploitation. There is, you know, human trafficking happening, right? And so right. there's this, there's the trend is sort of where we need to look at. And so I think that's a really important word, obviously. It's part of the book because it helps us sort of give context in what we're actually communicating. When we say the world's getting better, we're not saying the world is perfect. Right. I mean, if, if everything was getting better all the time, that as Steven Pinker, I think, said that would be a miracle that wouldn't be progress. Mm. Yeah, for sure. I I had a conversation with somebody at a former employer. We were just kind of talking about things. We were talking about fossil fuels. And he asked me this question. And and I want to use this as a way of getting into some of the specific trends. He asked me this question. We were talking about fossil fuels. He's all about, you know, the renewables, or as Alex Epstein calls them, unreliables. And he's kind of like, so do you think the sun's going to stop burning? before we run out of coal or, or fossil fuels? <laughs> like, which one do you think will happen first? And I was like, uh, well, <laughs> those aren't quite the same, you know, sort of thing because we have to acquire those things and use them. So we had a conversation about that. And he's, he's a really intelligent person. So he wasn't just naively believing things. 
But one of the trends is about resource depletion and that we're not running out of resources, right. including things like fossil fuels. So could you talk a little bit about that? Well, I want to give a, a complete shout out in that regard to my colleague, Marion Tupion, that he was, he's been working on that. He has a new book that'll be out in the next year or so going deeply into these particular trends. But basically what we find is, is that things are getting cheaper all the time. In this particular chapter, we're looking at 50 foundational commodities. So basically, what do you think of a food, minerals, metals, and fuels, right? And if you, if you look at an index of all of those, they've gotten much cheaper over time. And he's going to be going back to the 19th century and looking forward. But what we do is look more, more recently. And what we find in real dollars is that they've gone down, I don't know, 35% or so in, in real dollars since the 1980s. As a, as a basket of commodities. But then what uh, Marion and his colleague, oh, what's his name, Tooling? Anyway, what they've done is create what they call the Simon Index, where mm-hmm. they look at how much time, your labor, does it take for you to acquire those particular commodities again. And if you look at actual human expenditure of time, what you find is those commodities are about 60% cheaper than they were 40 years ago. So things are getting much cheaper all the time. And so what we do know about things as they get cheaper, that is a signal that they're becoming more abundant, not more scarce. Mm. Yeah, it's crazy. It's almost like you need to do a little bit of basic economics to understand this. <laughs> right. It's kind of weird, isn't it? I mean, the, the, the other way to put it is, is that we get more out of less all the time. We, we, we look at another trend basically where you're, you're looking at dematerialization over time. Where and this is happening across the board in all kinds of aspects of human existence, is that we just get more and more efficient and we get more and more goods and services out of less and less stuff. And that's great because one of the other trends that we document is is that we're leaving more land for nature, for example, because we are using less land to grow more food all the time. That was that was one of the um the forestation trend. Yes. That was one that actually shocked me. I had no idea. And and I'm already I'm already attuned to these trends, you know. Before the publishing of your book, I'm you know I pay attention to this kind of thing, and I had no idea about the forest. Yes, that does seem to surprise people because you again you hear about places where there are problems. For example, there is still continued deforestation in basically South America at this point. Africa is not quite so bad, and uh, again, that's a consequence of development and poverty and so forth. But we show the data, uncontroversial data again, done by researchers at the University of Maryland, where you find that over the last 40 years or so, for almost every other continent on on planet Earth, the uh, forests have been returning, Mm. essentially because people have been moving into cities and abandoning farmland. So I know that as we begin to use resources in a more efficient way, the Christian way of putting this might be, you know, we're, we're better stewards of the limited resources we, we have it's because we're making better use of it. So I think of things like using LEDs with respect to light or with respect to energy, I should say, because energy used to cost a lot more for us to run, you know, incandescence and, and other forms of, you know, creating light. And now we're doing more of it because it costs less. For instance, my dad doesn't understand why I don't tell my kids to turn off the lights when they leave a room. <laughs> it like costs me like one quarter of a cent for the next day <laughs> if they don't or if they if they just leave the lights on because I have an LED, I have LEDs in my house right right so with that sort of idea in mind it's like we use more of it does that mean that we are still emitting more carbons in the economy is like our economy becoming worse and worse in that respect or is that also getting better 
Well, uh, it's an extremely good question. At the moment, humanity is probably going to continue to be burning fossil fuels and putting more carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, which will continue to increase the average temperature of the globe over time. We don't address climate change in the book. Explicitly, we acknowledge it in, in the beginning of it, but this is one of the trends that we figured everybody already knew. So that's not, we, did, we wanted to get to trends that people didn't know about, mm-hmm. uh, more or less. But I do think that climate change, if, if it goes unabated over the course of the century, could become, it will likely become a significant problem for humanity. However, we do look at other trends. For example, uh, we have a, one of the, the trend chapters is looking at the price of, for, uh, of solar power, for example, mm-hmm. which is going vastly down over time. Uh, again, it is unreliable, but there are other technological fixes that are coming along. I'm fairly confident that human ingenuity is going to solve the energy problem in that regard. It is something that is a problem. We need to think about it, and we need to come up with good policies for doing that. But ultimately, my suspicion is, and this is, is that basically the world's economy will be mostly decarbonized by the middle of the century. Hmm. Well, that's optimistic. That's good. I th- yes. I, again, you, you have to look at the, the energy savings, like the LEDs that you're talking about, combined with the capabilities of a, of a my preferred, if I were running the planet, which I'm not, and probably a good thing, uh, <laughs> it would be a combination of, of renewables with a baseload uh, power out of uh, sustainable nuclear power. And that would essentially, uh, you would ba- basically electrify the economy and would no longer have to use fossil fuels. Yeah. Your thought about uh, it's a good thing you're not running the world. That's why I'm a libertarian, because I think I know what would make the world better, and that is evidence enough that I should not be in charge. <laughs> I think that's correct. <laughs> Let, let's both agree to leave people alone. <laughs> <laughs> I actually said that joke to somebody once, and they didn't quite get it. <laughs> well, what the, one of my favorite little T-shirts right now is, you know, the Gaston flag, don't tread on me. Yeah, yeah. My favorite one right now is don't tread on anybody. Yeah. Yeah, we've uh, we've actually made uh, stickers and stuff for that for our organization. So that and we have the word "me" crossed out and the word "anyone" uh, right. put on there. And that's really it's really important because the logical end to that is not a selfishness, but it's a it's a respect for others. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. So let's let's talk a little about free speech and free press. I think that is <laughs> a lot of people are lamenting the state of affairs there. And again, you're talking about trends, so maybe this is just a blip. Maybe where where does that stand? Well, as we show, there, there ha, you know, in our particular trend, they've been increasing over the last five decades or so, but has been has it definitely slowed down the last decade, decade and a half or so around the globe, and we we acknowledge that. On the other hand, we we are pointing out that it used to be a lot worse than it is now mm-hmm. uh, with regard to uh, uh, countries that permit essentially free speech or moving in that direction. But no, it, it is something that, you know, as a journalist, I'm incredibly worried about that all the time. One of the ways I like to think about the institutions that underpin human flourishing, it comes from a guy named Jonathan Rausch and his fabulous book, which you should buy just as soon as you purchased your five copies of 10 Global Trends. <laughs> it's called Kindly Inquisitors. And it was it, he basically says that, our, our, if you will, liber- liberal free society lives on three pillars. And 
Basically, those pillars are what he calls capitalism, which is how we decide who gets what, democracy, which is how we decide who gets to wield coercive power. And then the, the critical one to me is called what he calls liberal science, which is how we find out what's true. And what he means by that is radical free speech, essentially, is, is it's, every, it's every horrible socialist pamphlet up to the best peer-reviewed science. It's a basically a gigantic societal debate of a free press where people get to hash out their ideas and, mm-hmm. and hopefully the better ones win. And if you have those three pillars, then you will basically have a rich and flourishing society. So we live in a year where medical advancement is probably like probably makes even the uh the non-theist pray that we have rapid development of things like vaccines and medical improvements in this current year because you know we we want the world to get better in one particular way and you know of course talking about the coronavirus pandemic what are the trends in in medical research health and vaccine development they're they're (laughs) I'm almost speechless in the face of what's happened over the last year. So I'm actually trying to work on an article. It's my favorite graphic in your book that I've that I've looked at through so far. I mean, I've kind of skimmed through all the graphics, but the, this one in particular is probably my favorite. Right. It's basically we're showing where disease, infectious diseases were first identified and then how long it took for a, a, a good treatment, typically a vaccine, to come along. And, you know, it's thousands of years for uh, most of the diseases that have afflicted humanity over time. And, it, you know, medical progress is definitely speeding up over time. Um, for example, uh, people have had, had, you know, measles and smallpox and mumps and all kinds of diseases, uh, influenza. And, and it took centuries and decades before an effective treatment or vaccine came along. The, what's happening uh, with regard to the coronavirus that's afflicting us now is just absolutely astonishing, built on a, a huge amount of, of prior science. But essentially, the, the company Moderna, which is working on a vaccine that probably will, will be approved next week, not this week, but next week by the FDA, that's my prediction anyway, got the sequence of the, of the virus and seven days later had a vaccine. Now, they've had to go through and scale it up and develop it, but they had to basically develop the vaccine that they'll be selling us, hopefully, in less than two weeks, in a, in a week. And they were using a new platform called Messenger RNA that will make development of future vaccines extremely easy and cheap to do in the future. Hmm. It's just an amazing advance. And my more optimistic moments, and I'm, I'm sure someone's going to come back and hold me to this, but uh, I think that so much progress has been made in, in such a rapid way in, in responding to the pandemic that this literally may be the last pandemic humanity faces. Hmm. Well, that would be nice. I think it will. I think, <laughs> I, I think I can be fairly confident of that. Yeah. But then again, you know, there are so many other things that are coming along. In that, I mean, we're learning so much more about the immune system and so forth. But then we have the other advancements of telemedicine where you can deliver medical care to people over longer distances. And it just has basically the pandemic has, has speeded up a lot of progress in that regard because yeah. the emergency required us to do so. And I'm very happy with my species. It shows that we can be quite ingenious. Yeah, I've been impressed in that way as well. And to be honest, I think that I would say that I am 
I like what you said. Like I'm, I'm would you say I'm impressed with our species in that like, <laughs> or we're proud of our species that like we overcame something. And not only that, we found ways to be together while being separate in some, you know, safe ways. So yeah, there, there's a lot to sort of be thankful for and, you know, admire the pessimist in my inner pessimist is saying, Hmm, I can see politics being uh, the, yes. the, the reason that you, <laughs> you that you might be proven wrong. <laughs> yes, there's there there there's uh, as unfortunately some places on the globe we'll call them Venezuela and Zimbabwe and prove pol- politicians can ruin the prospects of their populations pretty quickly. Yeah, but again, I want to go back to the trends. That is not the the, the I think that. Venezuela and Zimbabwe are harkening back to an old past, an evil past of humanity, mm-hmm. the natural past of humanity, and that the trend toward greater freedom and flourishing will ultimately win out. Win out. Yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to keep people in Stone Age poverty when they can uh, still get a smartphone and see how other people are living. Yeah. Well, that was kind of be my kind of next question. Like we see some of these trends, and on a chart. These, these lines go up sharply or they go down sharply. And for instance, I'm just going to do sort of like a, a visual, if I can, on a podcast here. If you see the trend going up pretty dramatically, or even if it's pretty steady, but it's really, really improved, what are the likelihood that there's going to be a plummet? <laughs> or, are, or are the institutions that we have strong enough to make the things that you know you and I today and maybe even for a whole year feel depressed about is it going to withstand is it going to prevent a plummet or what do you think about that well i mean this is you know this is something that we we kind of address briefly at least is that there's always people who do the what about is that really smart people going well that's all very well mr bailey that you've pointed out all this wonderful progress has been made but we should can surely screw it up Mm. and the answer is yes we we can screw it up but the evidence for us doing that in a permanent way is, is still also pretty slim. I mean, there, again, progress isn't a, a, a Panglossian march to the future with a straight line trend. There are going to be dips and, and jags and so forth. But I'm fairly confident if, if we can maintain societies with the institutions we discussed earlier, free markets, free press, and, and uh, liberal democracy, then human flourishing can be pretty much guaranteed in the long run. How do you know what data to choose when you're looking at a, again, I, I'm going to sort of share my ignorance with how, even how I'm talking and asking this question, but like, how do you know what data to go with? You know, you can look at data on, for instance, income inequality or wealth inequality, and you on the one hand could say, hey, look, the gap is narrowing. And yet I would find somebody on the left would say, yeah, but if you look at this data set, these are the ones that we should look at. And it's getting worse. Right. And I'm sitting here as an armchair libertarian slash, you know, just reader of data or how people present it. And I'm just like, I don't know who to believe. Right. Well, on the income inequality data, we're, we are citing a global trend. And one of the things we're very, I think we're pretty clear about is what we're showing is that if you're looking at countries over time, what you're finding is that the, the poorer countries are getting richer faster than the rich countries are getting richer. So they're converging over time. So that inequality between countries is, is declining. On the other hand, the folks on the left are, are 
are correct, at least in in, some, in uh, countries like the United States and some other places, there has been an increase in, in uh, income inequality uh, in the population over time. And the question about that is, should we care about inequality or should we care about poverty? And I would prefer to care about lifting people out of poverty rather than uh, making sure everybody is equally poor. <laughs> but uh, that, that's my particular bias. Yeah. Uh, but I understand why people might be concerned about inequality over time. But again, I want to go back. We're, we're doing global trends. That's that's a good trend. But yes, it is a is a it is a live question on what, if anything, we should do about rising income inequality in the United States. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the other things, if I could, might mention, that I'm also excited by is getting across to people how much safer the world is relative to natural disasters. Oh yeah. I mean, one of one one of the things that people are you know, you hear about natural disasters all the time. Yep. And and you know, with regard to climate change and so forth, there may be an upward trend in some of the some of those natural disasters. But the fact of the matter is is that compared to 100 years ago, your chances of dying, your percentage chance of dying in a natural disaster is 1% of what it was in 1920. Basically, your chances of dying in a natural disaster have dropped by 99%. And again, that's because people are richer, they have better technologies, they have better warning systems, they have better housing, mm-hmm. and all these things that can withstand uh, the kinds of things that used to do people in. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we can put a GoPro on a hurricane once we know about it. Exactly. <laughs> that's pretty crazy. I remember one time I heard about hurricane season and I was like, it's like half the year. Like, I feel like a season should be like a few months rather than like half of our lives is hurricane season. It's just funny to me that, you know, it's like that's when we pay attention. We, we, we call it summer and fall. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's right. For sure. So I want to end with how do we, and we've kind of touched on this, you know, you know kind of throughout this conversation there's two words or two ideas that you use about particular types of institutions. And it's honestly the way I see whether or not we can actually keep the progress, if you will, or keep the trend going in a positive direction. And that is the difference between extractive versus inclusive institutions. Right. I don't know if you want to give, give some thoughts on, on the differences between those. Cause those two words, I just am like, wow, those are perfect words to help summarize you know, what can really aid in progress or impede it. Right. The, the, these concepts come from a, a book called How Nations Fail by Robinson and Asimoglu. And so it's a wonderful book. Another book that I particularly like is um, by uh, Douglas North. And he was also looking at these things. And it's basically the idea is, let me go with it this way. Douglas North's book is called Violence and Social Orders. And, and it's very much in line as a theoretical basis for what Asimoglu's extractive institutions and inclusive institutions are. And in North's telling of it, his thing is, is what is the biggest problem that faces humanity when they start getting in groups, when the agricultural revolution comes along? What's the biggest problem? And his answer is, is controlling violence. Because when you get, you know, when you're in a, a small band of hunter-gatherers, 100 people or so, you know, you can watch each other and, and, and kind of make sure you behave like a family group. But when you get a couple of thousand people, then it becomes easier for people to get away with trying to steal stuff or, uh, you know, 
attack you and that kind of thing. So what happens to control that is basically you create what he calls a natural state, which is essentially uh, you create a king and you have some priests around them, and he promises to create a coalition that makes sure that the other guys can't steal your stuff or rape your wife. Mm. And so what you create, what you do over time is to create these institutions where the king is basically the guy who's it's centralized. It's a centralized authority where you have elites that uh, create coalitions that promise uh, to keep you safe over time. And this is all of human history. And I would argue, for example, some places like Venezuela or Zimbabwe or, or Russia or Saudi Arabia are still natural states. You still have people at the top who are extracting resources and then rewarding those resources to their followers over time. But what happened in the, in the telling of Asimoglu, Robinson, and, and Douglas North is that 200 years ago, a set of institutions arose that were inclusive, that allowed all of a sudden for other people to participate in the economy over time. And North would identify that as basically getting control of the king by d- democratic means and uh, recognizing private property that could be sold because you had to get out of the system where property was basically inherited in family lines forever and ever and ever. And you created commercial markets over time. And when you have those things together, you create institutions where everyone can slowly but surely begin to participate. Because basically, the rule of law now applies to everybody. And once you created that, you found, you found what we call the great enrichment came about, is that all of a sudden, the natural state of human poverty begins to abate over time. And... Um, to the extent we can maintain those institutions, those inclusive institutions, again, democracy, free speech, uh, free markets, uh, I think we can guarantee further human flourishing. Well, I certainly agree, and I hope that we can keep it as well. Ron, I appreciate you coming on and talking about this book. I hope people buy it and give it away. And Me know, too. Yeah, you too. <laughs> <laughs> I you mean, know what I'm, I, a, I'm a capitalist. Why not? Yeah, right. One thing that has occurred to me in this conversation is like, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, we're going to have done this conversation and it's no longer going to sit just on my, you know, desk where I work, but I'm going to put it on our family coffee table and my young kids. And I'm like, yeah, you should have a kid's version. You can call it things are getting better or 80 reasons why things are getting better in the world or something like that. And then it's, you know, it's illustrated by children or something. Um, but yeah, 10 global trends. Every smart person should know. And many others you will find interesting is the title of the book. You can go buy it. And Ron, thanks again for being on. Thank you for having me on. I really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, same here. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast. If you liked today's episode, we encourage you to rate us on Apple Podcasts to help expand our audience. If you want to reach out to us, email us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com. You can also reach us at LCI Official on Twitter. And of course, we are on Facebook and have an active group you are welcome to join. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Libertarian Christian Podcast is a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. If you'd like to find out more about LCI, visit us on the web at libertarianchristians.com. The voiceovers are by Matt Bellis and Catherine Williams. As of episode 115, our audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com.